fine if you really want something the most important thing is focus a lot of people that have issues i find and they don't know what to do or they're like mm -hmm. they just can't focus mm -hmm. and that was one of my strengths was when i want something i focus and there's mm -hmm. nothing else i don't have a b plan it's just that Right. And that's gonna work out because if you have a B plan, you're already like halfway out. Oh, if it's not working, I'll do this. Mm -hmm. And so you've already kind of told yourself it's not gonna work out. Hi, and welcome to the Mindset and Performance Podcast. I'm Dries. I help athletes and business professionals with their career development. We work on a wide range of areas from psychology to strategy and execution, but we focus essentially on the mindset as it is the key to everything else. The whole idea behind this podcast is to deconstruct the habits that led people to their success, to learn from their experience and understand the psychology behind their actions and behaviors. And of course, to gain key insights that you can apply to your own life. Having a successful sporting career isn't always guaranteed. There are lots of ups and downs, injuries and stressful moments along the way. But what is it that makes some athletes stand out more than others? And what is the secret to a glorious sporting career that actually continues long past the competitive periods? Annie Boulanger, my podcast guest for this episode, had clearly found a way to be a successful athlete beyond and over the time when she was actually competing. Being now a retired professional snowboarder, she spends half of the year chasing waves and the other half chasing snow in the mountains. Annie quickly understood that being a professional athlete is such a mind game and that is why she chose to work with a sports psychologist in an early period of her career. Annie shares with us her story, what she enjoys doing and where she likes to spend her time. She shares with us key insights on what she learned during the, her competitive period and who influenced her the most. So in this podcast episode, you will learn what it takes to have a successful sporting career, how to pursue your dreams, to the most important thing for career success, the power of optimism, the benefits of working with a sport performance psychologist and why it is not good to have a plan B. Annie has also been involved in the snowboard film industry, which was a part of her career dreams. It seems like her life purpose right now is to live life to its fullest, surrounded by good friends, lots of adventures and continuous learning. Annie and, met, and I met during a surf trip on a remote island in the Indonesian archipelago. My first impression was that she's very friendly and especially very helpful when our airlines rescheduled our ticket and we were risking to miss our connection to our final destination. Enjoy the podcast, guys, and listen carefully. Uh, Annie's story is full of very interesting key insights. How are you today? I'm pretty good. And you? Did you just come back today from where, from wherever you were? I mean, you were in the Bukit, right? Oh, I went to the Bukit for a week. And so you were there and now we moved to this to side Brawa. of the island. Yeah. Okay. Where do you stay when you come here? I stay at a little homestay in Brawa. Uh-huh. Okay. And how was the Bukit? It was all right. It's one of my favorite places on, on the island, actually. But I don't know. Some people say it changed a little bit. I'm not sure. I don't hang out in Bali that much. 
But you so, know the difference between Chenggu and the Bukit? Yeah, yeah, but I find it more beautiful up there and the water is cleaner. It is. Um, and in Brawa, I can get more stuff done as far as work and things like that. So, and I don't want to go in the water in Brawa. No, you don't want to go, especially now, now in this season, yeah, no. it's, it's quite so, stinky and dirty. Yeah. So how are you? I'm good. Good. Thank okay. You. Thank you. How do you usually introduce yourself? This is a classical question that I ask people because mm. there's a casual setup on how you introduce people to them. Hi, Amani. Yeah. Or there's also the professional setup. How, how, how do you or did you usually introduce yourself? You mean while traveling or like in random places or while traveling in the industry? Let's go back to the industry when you were okay. traveling. Okay. So how would I introduce myself yeah. or just say my yeah. name? Then I would just say, say name. my name. Okay. Yeah. You don't put forward what you do. You just say your name. No. You expect people to know who you are. No. No. Never. Okay. It's just, that's not really something I um, associate myself with. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, let's pin that one and then we'll go back to it because I want to ask about this association. It can be a very interesting point, actually. But I worked on that. Huh? You worked on it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. And then so now also you should just say your name? Yeah, I say my name. I guess I only answer if people ask me what I do or how I can be here. Then I say, they ask me what I do for a living. Mm. I think the first time when we met, you told me I am a retired athlete or I used to be an athlete. You didn't use the word retired. You just said. Yeah, I used, used to, to snowboard to... probably is what I said. Oh, I used to snowboard and now. I used to snowboard professionally, like if it was nothing. After when I looked you up, I found that you were all over the place and quite famous. I think that that's also humble. Uh, well, to me, it's not really who I am. Mm hmm. Like, it doesn't matter when I meet someone what I used to do, mm. like, for them to like me. They should just like me because mm. they enjoy talking to me. Mm -hmm. So you don't associate yourself necessarily with what you did as a job. If I associate myself with that, to mm. me, it's just, like, a really fun way. Like, I am just feel like... I lived my dream and that was my dream and mm. someone else has a different dream and they can live their dream and be the best they can at what they want to be and there's mm. not a better or a worse that's just that's what I wanted to do mm. see that's a very interesting point of view because when I meet people of course I say I'm Dries and then like, what comes right after that like what do you do so I'm a coach I help Mm -hmm. athletes and business professional with their career developments and how specifically that I go to psychology, strategy and execution. So we tend to associate who we are with the things we do. And um, I, if, I think I, I wrote an article about that. Like that, that, That's when the problems start happening is when athletes or those professionals want to change career. They say, oh, well, I was a snowboarder all my life. Mm -hmm. What am I going to be now? Yeah, but I always found... So when you start being pro and everyone loves you and they're sending you gear and you're yeah. on the top of the game, it's like an ego trip as well, right? Uh -huh. But I started doing therapy really early in my career. What kind of therapy? What do you mean therapy? Like I started seeing therapists because I wanted to... Psychologist? Psychologist. Uh -huh. Yeah. I was just really open to it and I was stressed and negative. I just had some things I wanted to change. Mm -hmm. And I slowly started doing therapy to like help snowboarding and... I really wanted to, at that time, was probably to be the best possible I could be at snowboarding. Mm 
mm-hmm. and it was just very stressful and uh, I learned to cope with that and I just was just really interested all the time to learn about myself and I grew up French Canadian and we're really good at laughing at each other and making jokes all the time so laughing I guess, as in uh, teasing like teasing uh-huh. everyone teases you so you can never think really you're good at something or say out loud because someone's gonna slap you in the back right away uh-huh. so it's just people make fun of each other all the time and uh so yeah i guess you learn to really like laugh at yourself and not take yourself serious and so for me therapy was really having someone else observe you and challenge the way you think and tell you you could think somewhere like another way so it became a game with my thoughts and so i observed a lot of people that when they finished their career because the career it's such a mind game you have really like big ups and big downs and you're doing well and you're injured and you think you're gonna lose it but you worked so hard to live your dream that the scariest thing is to lose it and i've seen a lot of people by the end of their career they're so drained they hate snowboarding they hate their sponsor it just like took the energy out of them and they don't even want to go snowboarding anymore and they move to the city and they do something completely different and i always thought that was very sad because what got me to snowboarding is because i loved snowboarding so much and so i wanted to make sure that i always loved snowboarding and nothing was going to take that away and so i started working on that and observing okay well and then changing my thoughts and working on my negative thoughts let's say i was scared to like lose money or lose my job And then I started changing my thoughts that after my career, maybe life will be even better and I'll have even more fun and I'll make even more money. Because I think a lot of people, once they reach their dream to be a professional athlete, they think that after that, it's going to go downhill and they won't make more money or be happier or be as cool. And so I just wanted to say, well, it'll be even better after. Uh, that makes sense that makes sense i'm very curious on how what period of of your um, career development you reached out to the to the therapist and because it takes a, uh, some sort of maturity to say okay i need that i need someone to talk to and to rework on my mind like some people would just go through all the whole career without really actually reaching out or solving that. But what what was different about you? What made you actually look for that and not think well, of it like a, as a, being a shrink and being, mm-hmm. yeah, for people who have problems, but like more for people who would like to improve something. I was all real, always interested in reading self-help books mm-hmm. and nutrition books and just books where I was learning. Mm. And uh, I didn't have the best relationship with my dad. Like he was a great father, but he was hard on me. Mm-hmm. And we're bored on the same day. So it was very challenging for me because everything he has in him that I have in me, that he mirrors, would really trigger me and bring out the negative stuff in me. And so I just really wanted to work on that aspect. Like all the stuff he brought out and not to turn like... like to time in that person later right and i would be hard for me to go back home because he would trigger me and i just get really tense and so so that's at a young age teenage that's in my 20s 20s all right yeah and because i left home i was 18 and i was like having trouble living with my dad because he would just bring up a lot of tension in me Mm. and stress and when i was away like my parents were quite controlling so for me to move away and to not have to like, talk to them was amazing 
But they're great parents. They're amazing. They're really nice. It's just like they didn't really believe in a career in snowboarding. So they were pursuing me to go to school and do something different. And how were you as a child? What kind of child were you? As a child, I would want to do... I was quite independent and like doing what I want to do in a smart way. Like it was always very logical that I was a good kid, but I didn't want to listen to rules. And I, so I liked my parents a lot because they were very strict. So I would make it look like I'm a very good kid and I do everything they want, but then I would lie and go do what I wanted to do after, let's say. Mm. Yeah. Well, and who did you want to be back then? Like, what were you Like when thinking? I was really young? Yeah, like, I don't know, being a like, princess or... Like a prima ballerina? Yeah. And then I started ballet <laughs> and I hated it. And then I wanted to work at SeaWorld and work with the whales. And then when I started snowboarding, I was 13. And at 15, I said, I'm going to be a pro snowboarder and move to Whistler. And that was back then already that clear. Yeah. As soon as I started snowboarding, something clicked and I loved it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I can be really good at this. And Mm -hmm. I already started looking at what the best girls were doing. And I could see that I could be one of the top. Who who were you looking up to? It was like the only girls I could see back then were the girls at X Games, which was Tina Basich and Shannon Dunn and... The first girls that started, really. And who would you say influenced you the most? Like, it could be one of the snowboarders, like, I mean, in life in general. It could be some author from some, some place. Mm, it was or, more uh, my close friends. The oh. guys I would snowboard with mm-hmm. were the guys that I spent my entire days with and the guys that I would admire because they were better than me at snowboarding and they were teaching me about snowboarding and taking me out with them and teaching me about um, what it's like to be pro and... I would spend my entire days with them. Were they uh, an equal number of men and women athletes? There was no girls. No, you were the only one. Yeah, at my school when I started snowboarding, yeah. I was in grade, I was 13. Uh-huh. But I, there was no other girls snowboarding. And then when I would go to the resort, there was no other girls. So I would look and the guys thought I was a poser. And they didn't want to snowboard with me, the guys at school that mm-hmm. were snowboarding. So I kind of just rode by myself. And would observe guys that were better than me and copy them. And then I, when I got better, the guys at school. Was it competitive or rather supportive? Or a dynamic between the between you and them? Like The guys? They, yeah. they didn't know I was observing them. I would <laughs> just like watch from the chair and I would learn like what tricks or how to snowboard from observing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that was a cool trick. And I'll, I'll use the same jump. And I didn't because I'm a girl. We don't. Like guys always had, they buy the magazines and they buy the videos and they know about the tricks. Mm. I didn't know anything. I didn't know I could go buy magazines and movies and learn about it. I would just go snowboarding. And then when I, I would just spin until I cut my edge or I would just hit the jumps. And I didn't really know what I was doing because I didn't have anyone teaching me. And, but I still somehow got good. Mm. And then when I started getting good and hanging out with the cool guys in the contest, they would teach me the name of the grabs and the name of the tricks and may be Annie you should do a 360 and land it before you learn 720s and yeah so they were supportive at the end they were very nice yeah yeah yeah. the guys were really nice snowboarding is not like surfing snowboarding guys and girls snowboard together you do the sport as a family it's more like on the weekend everyone goes together and it's a really nice sport when I started surfing I was quite dramatized Oh, really? how sexist and mean and how mean people are oh wow i would have expected the snowboarding would be the no, same no snowboarders are so nice people are from the mountain they're relaxed they're happy there's not really like 
competition uh-huh. with other people. And in when I grew up competing in snowboarding, the girls and the guys are always in the same event. The girls go before the guys and they cheer you on and they help you. Like the history of the sport is not like surfing where the girls were like, like really tough at first. And a lot of them were lesbians, right? Because it was so hard to, they didn't want girls to join the sport. No, very interesting. And when I first came to Bali, I got the surfers were douchebags (laughs) and just like so big egos and talk to girls like they were like garbage and (laughs) like they could get any girls they want and they would never ask us what we did for a living because they were so cool they were surfers how could you do anything that's even like as cool as what they do or any interest at all (laughs) so yeah i didn't like the scene i don't know this side at all because like i'm a i'm a guy so i don't know how the guys are actually treating girls but this is very interesting yeah i hated it i hated it because i didn't but it didn't turn you off from trying to surf i didn't feel valued as a woman at all just hanging out in bali Mm. i felt yeah, I didn't like it. I didn't hang out in Bali. I would go to Lombok and I'd go to like little places with cool surfers and not where the best surfers are. Well, it's true. There's a lot of attitude around here. Yeah, I don't like the attitude and mm. in the mountains or in snowboarding. If someone has an attitude, you're not going to have a long career because no one wants to hang with you. See, I would have thought the opposite, like because there's a lot of attitude between guys in the water. And I would have thought because there's a good looking girl, they will be a little bit nicer and more gentle. No, the guy see it as an opportunity to uh-huh. get a wave. Uh-huh. If you're paddling, you're, paddle. you're not going to hit them and uh-huh. you're probably bad because you're a girl. Uh-huh. So guys always think it's easy because you're a girl to catch a wave. It's way harder. <laughs> way harder. Wow. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Some keep places it in mind. I go now, yeah. some people are nice. And if you get in a good crew, they'll help you out. But I know those places and i know the people and i go back to those places because of those nice guys that make sure the girls can catch waves and Mm. they help us Mm. because if you're a top surfer girl and you can hang with the guys sure but if you're like an intermediate surfer the guys can paddle around you and just lap you all day but if you know some of the top surfers in the lineup and they call you into a wave and it's your turn and you've been waiting then the other guys don't paddle they respect and they're like, oh yeah, okay, that girl hasn't had a, had a wave in an hour. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so where were we? We were at 13 years old, yeah. starting to snowboard. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. Like I like it when we drift yeah. a little bit like this because yeah, there's no, also things fun. there. It was very fun. 13 years old, starting to snowboard. How, how did you start in the first place? Like, oh, parents... I used to ski and my yeah. brother got a snowboard and uh, my okay. brother was my idol, so I copied him. There we go. I was, I was looking for, for, yeah. for, for uh, figures. Mm. figures. What did you pick from him? What did I what? What did you pick from him? What is the things that you would say I modeled from him? Oh, sports mostly. My brother was hyperactive and quite into sports and a very good coach. And so he coached me at every sport possible so that he could play with me. Mm. So it was like very physical and very painful. So I got beat up a lot. So I really learned to be tough mm. and not to cry and not to go like see my mom. And mm. so that really helped me out in my career because it was very painful. Through the whole career or in the beginning only? No, because it's painful. Oh. Yeah. If you don't want to fall, you're not going to be a professional snowboarder. Mm. 
I meant more the tough part, like the coaching part. Like, was he coaching you through the whole time? Or oh, just no, he was just like telling me how to play sports, like mm-hmm. how to play hockey properly. Or... Oh, you did that too? Yeah, we played everything at my house. We mm. just played outside. And so we played baseball or football or hockey or dodgeball or mm. it was like every sport. And when did it take off? When did your career start taking off? I specifically? Moved, I moved to Whistler uh, in 99, 99, and I just started competing quite a bit more. And then I would say I started winning all the competitions in Canada. And I didn't want to jump too fast. I wanted to make sure I didn't want to go to an event unless I thought I could win it. And so by 2001, uh, my team manager forced me to go to the U.S. Open. And I said, "Okay, I think I can do well in the quarter pipe if you get me in the invitational quarter pipe. And he's like, I'm not sure if I can get you in the invitational quarter pipe, but you can do the pipe. And like, I'm not ready yet to win the pipe. But he was forcing me. So then finally I got into the invitational quarter pipe and then I won that. And And I came from being an amateur and just winning Canadian contests to then winning one of the biggest events in the industry. And so after that, I was invited to all the competitions, all my contracts with my sponsors got way bigger. And then everyone liked me way more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's, that's and the so I became moment. the token contest girl for my sponsors at that time, mm. where I was invited to all those contests, X Games, US Open, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's when it took off. Okay, what, what was the chapter after that? The chapter after that was I kept doing quite well in contests for another year and then got injured. And uh, then I didn't like the pressure and the expectation because when you're a rookie, uh, it's very easy to be confident and to go win because there's no expectations. And once people expect you to win and expect you to be the top girl, that's when the mental breaks. Mm. And most I like observing people in their careers now and I've observed a lot of people that blow up fast and they're the best and they get injured. And that's your excuse is I'm injured. And so that's how I got into therapy and is I blew my knee recently. I blew my knee and then I learned that I created that and I got injured and you learn that your injuries sometimes will be your excuse to like uh, for your fear of success. Mm. and how you can create injuries and unconsciously you mean or consciously yeah unconsciously, unconsciously what mm. you attract uh-huh. you've thought about it before and it's created from your childhood or and so whenever i would get injured and injury snowboarding is different than injury surfing i've noticed my friends are really sad when they get injured surfing but maybe they get a bad cut on the reef and they get a few stitches and they're out of water for a couple of days but snowboarding when you get injured you're out for a month or for the season and you need surgery or you're out for a few months or mm. it's usually quite serious when your friend calls you and says i'm injured mm. they're out can we go back to the point where you said like it can come you create it yeah and could you tell me a little more about what do you mean specifically by like going to, coming from the childhood i think it's an interesting part there it comes from a childhood you said like uh yeah well my issue Personally, I think a lot of athletes actually have the same issue. Is someone, maybe your dad when you were a kid, told you you were not good enough. Mm-hmm. And so oh. athletes are very hard on themselves. And they're perfectionists for some reason. And they're very driven. 
And so on, they usually don't think they're good enough. That's why they want to be the best and they want to excel and be better and better and better. And that's what keeps you often training and working harder. But also some people come from beautiful families and they're just so good and talented and they're having so much fun. But a lot of people that are on top, I find go to therapy and just to, I think it just, you put yourself in, under so much stress in those situations and those big events and you're just pushing your limit where you're so scared of what you're about to do that it brings everything up. Whatever your issues are, they like just come to the surface. Very good. Okay. So, but uh, what I meant actually there when I asked the question, but this is, this is good what you answered like a hundred percent, because you said something like when we get injured, it's somehow we create that injury. We yeah. want to be injured. Yeah. Is that what you meant? Or did I, I think right? subconscious. Yeah. You maybe want to be injured. It's your excuse because you don't think you can do it. You're questioning. So you put yourself, you self-induce yourself with even more pressure. So you you kind of sabotage it. That's what yeah, you mean. Yeah, you're sabotaging. Are you sabotaging it? All right, okay. And then you find you say that's that's my excuse. That's why I can do more. Yeah. That's why. Mm. Not in every situation. Yeah, yeah. I figured found that in some of mm. my situation. Mm. Or another way to get injured is you're not listening to what you really want to do. Emotionally. Yeah, let's say one of my injuries, I was at X Games and I did not want to be at X Games. I didn't want to compete anymore. And I was just doing it for my sponsors and I hurt myself. Was that like thinking negatively and attracting it? Was it that was just not wanting to be there Mm. and just not snowboarding well Mm. and just feeling pressured to be there and not. And then after that, injuries when i just started making i was actually usually pretty good at making my own calls but uh yeah i think it comes back to really looking at what you want to be doing and what makes you happy so was that period one of the most challenging periods of your career like which one this this one when you get the first injury that was the first injury so many injuries injuries. they're all hard because (laughs) (laughs) they were all hard and you all have to take them and uh-huh. learn something from them. And it's very scary while you're injured because you think you're going to lose your contract. Because mm. snowboarding, surfing, sports, snowboarding, you're always on the verge of doing something where you'll hurt yourself. But if you don't, you'll lose your job. And if you hurt yourself, you lose your job. And so you have to push the limits. And it's just a fine line. I see. And so when you are injured, you're uh-huh. just wishing that you had you did something good before and your sponsors keep you around. When And it depends how long your contracts are. If your contract's up right after your injury, you're worried. But if you have a three-year contract and you're in your first year, you're like, okay, I have two more years to look good so that mm. they resign me again. Mm. So it seems like during that, that phase, like the first, like when you said like that was the first time where you reached out to therapist. Yeah, it's it, there was a, it was a, a second piv- shifting or pivoting moment. So the first pivoting moment was when you actually won the, the yeah. big game, and the second one when you get injured and there was a lot of pressure there, and you looked for changing the way you think about things mm-hmm. to sustain um, a longer uh, career. Yeah, well, correct? I bruised my heel, uh-huh. so that was an injury that just never heals when you're snowboarding because mm. you're always landing on your heel. Mm. And so I 
took that injury and took a lot of time off mm-hmm. and was reflecting and I really wanted to get into backcountry. That was one of my dreams because there's no girls in the backcountry, snowmobiling and all my guy friends were doing that, but huh. I wasn't allowed as a girl. It wasn't something that was available. And what did you do uh, when you say reflecting? So you reached out to someone and you start exploring yourself, like reading, listening, yeah, writing? Yeah, I started reading and I start really asking for help. Mm. But like in my head, mm. I just was manifesting, I guess, or just asking for help to someone to help me go in the direction I wanted to go because I didn't see open doors. What was the I just question saw back then? What like? I wanted to do, but I didn't have any help and everyone was... Like no one wanted to help me do it. So you knew where you wanted to go, but you didn't yeah. know how to. Yeah, exactly. Rather than I don't know what to do and I need answers. I wanted, I knew I wanted to be in the backcountry and I wanted to be in snowboard movies and snowboard magazines. But as a girl, there was no opportunities and no one wanted to really help me. Mm. And I was just every night I would go to bed and be stressed and just ask for help before mm. I fell asleep. As in praying. Yeah, I would pray. Mm. Like, I just need help. <laughs> Please. Right, right, right. I don't know how, but <laughs> right. yeah. So what happened after that? Well, slowly, one of my good friends, yeah, helped me. And one of my team managers slowly helped. Did you reach out to them? Yeah, I, for sure. I reached out to them, but everyone was telling me they couldn't market a girl and they were cutting my contracts and every year I would make less money. And they told me they couldn't sell it and that it wasn't going anywhere. But I had a vision. Like I knew it was going to work and I had a vision because there was no girls doing it. And I loved it. And I, I just knew it was going to work. And that I could be the only girl doing it if someone would just help me. <laughs> but it's quite complicated to get a snowmobile, go in the backcountry. You got to have a gang. You got to get a movie. You got to have funding. And it's quite expensive. He did a movie at some point. Like I found something, I think. Uh, I did I a lot of movies. He did, yeah. For since 2004 or five until 2016. Actually, when when you we Google you, you are a movie character. I'm a movie character. Yeah, you know Wikipedia. Oh. Actress, movie character. Oh. <laughs> really? <It's true>. Yeah. <laughs> didn't see it. No. I didn't know. <laughs> it's not a snowboarder. It's a movie character or actor, actress. No way. That must be someone else. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. What were you saying? You were saying uh, uh, movies. Yeah. So uh, I slowly got into smaller movies that mm-hmm. my friends were making. Mm-hmm. And then my dream was to be in. There was three top snowboard movies back mm-hmm. then. And my dream was to be in one of them called Absent Films. And then I just begged and begged and begged everyone, my sponsors, and they, my sponsors didn't want to call the movie company because they were embarrassed to ask to bring a girl on. That's so interesting. And though. a guy, like, if a guy come, has won come, the U.S. How Open, how was that 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 much? If a guy has won the U.S. Open, he's been to X Games. And, no problem. And the sponsors called and we're like, we have like thirty grand. People are like, yeah, no problem. But if it's a girl, they're like, oh, I don't know if we want to bring a girl. How did that make you feel? Well, it didn't feel good. But that's my whole career. That's just how it felt all of the time. Mm. So it was challenging not only But I actually... grew up playing with the boys, mm. with my brother. So mm. I always felt like I wanted to be as good as the guys, but I was a girl. So I kind of always felt like that my whole life. So I'm used to it. I'm used to failure. Very, very good at accepting failure. Uh-huh. Because I'm used to always losing to my brother. <laughs> that was so... early training <laughs> yeah. with the brother. Yeah. Uh, that's a good one. 
What do you think when you have a failure? What 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 goes in your mind? What do you think about now? When you, no, or when, then? I mean now. Now I laugh. You laugh, but yeah. And back I'm just then, now the important thing is to have fun. All right. And if you fail, who cares? Yeah. Like I'm not trying to impress anyone. Uh-huh. Back then, I was quite hard on myself. Uh-huh. Yeah. How you take yourself out of it? I was very competitive. Well, how did you take yourself out of it? Like you oh, were. therapy. I noticed I was very competitive and I noticed it was not making me happy. Mm. And I had a girlfriend that I observed and she was happy for other girls when they were doing like good stuff. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Mm. I want to be like that. I want to be able to look at what the other girls are doing and just be happy and have it not affect me and my happiness and my snowboarding. That's one of the principles of the growth mindset. When we look at people who are actually successful, be happy for them and actually yeah. learn from their experience. And I think it comes from just not being fearful that you're going to lose your job or who you are and your identity snowboarding. Because in sports or in snowboarding, there's there can be many good guys, but one girl. And that's how it used to be. You can only have one girl on each team. So it was very competitive. You have to be the best or you're out. And so... And it kind of comes be- between like after reading all those books and doing therapy where you just create abundance and you're like there's enough for everyone. There is no com- competition. You just create opportunities and it's going to work out. But that just takes a lot of work depending on where you came from and your childhood training mm. with your parents. You know? <laughs> yeah, childhood yeah. training, a very important <laughs> one. We all went through that. Yeah. I'm actually reading a very interesting book these days about that child that child inside of us mm-hmm. and how to heal it yeah. it's a very trendy word these days okay back at you um i am particularly interested in how did you um organize your days uh, and your life during that period of competitive period so I guess there was a lot of travels that I would pick photo shoots to do. There was mm-hmm. movies, as you said, and there was actually preparing for competition and all that. So. Yeah, I was quite busy. Uh-huh. Um, How about I social either, life? Oh, my social life was fun. Well, you always, that's why I didn't like competing because I wanted to be with my friends. Mm-hmm. And so snowboarding to me was about snowboarding with my friends and having fun. And that's why filming movies was more reflecting on what I loved about snowboarding then competing and rules and judges and the stress and traveling every week somewhere different it just didn't bring out the best in me some people love it some of my friends they say when they drop in it everything blacks out and it's their time in the half pipe or it's their time and for me i would black out and feel like vomiting like i did not deal with 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 like everyone everyone's eyes on me and everyone observing i didn't feel brought out the best in me and I just wanted to snowboard when I want to snowboard and when the conditions are right. And not like, okay, 8 o'clock, minus 25, TV's on, go. Do your best. Mm. And then if you fall, then you're not very good. Anything mm. you've worked on for the last six months doesn't count. Mm. So how did your days look like? My days, uh, well, in the fall, you have seasons. So in the fall, you train and you work out, preparing for the season. Then... As soon as the season starts, you're traveling and going to the best parks. And I would go to California, go to Mammoth, ride park and train and ride with your friends. You're always riding with your friends. And then start competing with your friends and follow the competition circuits. And and then 
In the summer, you'd keep riding, go to Mount Hood or go to Whistler, go on the glaciers and keep snowboarding, working on your tricks and then do it all over again. Nutrition in check. Uh, been... Well, back then, not really. No? Not when you're a kid. <laughs> I guess as a girl, you just learn, you just try not to like be chubby, but not. Did it matter anyway? But I grew up eating healthy. But did it matter? What mattered? The, um, what you eat. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I started mm. later on figuring out not to eat wheat and dairy and that made me feel better. But that didn't affect my snowboarding and mm. things like that, I would say. Back then, snowboarding, you know, it was like the generation before me were like big drinkers and big partiers. So it's not until the Olympics came way later that the coaches and the training and that to me was like, that's not for me have a diving coach tell me what's wrong with my trick it's not like a definition of snowboarding to me for me snowboarding is going riding with my friends and having fun and have the people i admire help me and challenge me but we're riding together right like yeah i mean it became more serious after yeah, i'm not I gonna guess. do trampoline and mm. you know yeah, now it is that's what it is well now there's two aspects of the sport there's mm. the trampoline training part and there's the free riding and mm. soul riding more and you can see the people that are creative and the people that are more like calculated mm. i don't know if you understand surfing yeah, is yeah. the same you can see the surfers that are soul surfing and they're feeling the wave and you can see the people that are like i gotta do a turn right now and it's just more calculated and you can see how people surf and i like to watch people that are feeling the wave and flowing you can see it obviously these days with them right you can see cle clearly who's having fun and who's actually yeah. feeling the wave rather it's than just, executing it it's different personalities mm. of how people ride you can't really change that i you, think that's just how people are i was just gonna ask you i was just gonna ask you if you think people are born with it or they can develop I think they're it. born with it can they they can uh, learn style though people uh, can really learn style and mm -hmm. learn to be conscious you can be conscious of start to feel but some people are just rational and logical that's just how their mind works yeah and they like they need to think and, and there's no good and there's no bad mm -hmm. what were you then uh, i was the one that didn't like the rules i'm someone okay my snowboarding was I'm either going to go as fast as possible and do the coolest thing ever and land, or I'm going to fall really hard. There wasn't like a happy middle. So that's why in competitions it didn't work for me because I couldn't do like two runs and be reserved and land my two mediocre runs. I was going to go all in and probably fall. Mm -hmm. Then I got to kind of live my dream and ride backcountry with in the movies I wanted to film with the riders i wanted to ride with mm. and it was really stressful but amazing what was special about it i had the good budget and the good filmers and the good riders to do the best snowboarding possible and have the best filmmakers and at the same time it's very scary to perform because there's a lot of pressure of because your sponsors have are backing you and there's a lot of money involved they're paying you they're putting money in the movies and so if at the end of the year you don't produce anything, there's a lot of pressure from people that are going to be mad if you didn't do anything. But at the same time, you're living 
that experience is the best experience you can have in that sport at the top of and how different that is from competition competing against other people like because you said pressure there was pressure before and there is pressure then still yeah yeah there is but i really enjoyed being with the guys than competing with other girls because i always felt it's okay the pressure is not really that on me mm. the guys are going to get the best shots and if i can snowboard during the day and do something it's a bonus mm. but actually i took a lot of the days as learning experience because the guys had so much more experience and some days are very frustrating because of that as i'm the rookie I'm not as strong and so I don't say anything. The plan of the day doesn't revolve about what I want to do. I kind of tag along and if I can do what they're doing, cool. And if I can't, I sit back and still pay for the heli at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So, but I feel like that was quite a highlight now when I look back that I was so lucky to do all those things and hang out because everyone was amazing. The writers are amazing. Everyone's so passionate and everyone wants to be there and creative everyone wants to be there they mm. want to make this best movie ever and everyone wants to ride their best and everyone's having fun and cheering when you're doing a movie everyone's cheering each other on because everyone's in the same project and they want the movie to be good so yeah the mm. guys might be competitive against each other but still they're pushing each other so and there was beautiful. a sense of togetherness in that yeah and yeah. you're watching the best snowboarding mm. in history mm. right next to you because the guy is the best in the world and he's going to do something no one's ever done. And mm. that's what's fun about backcountry is a lot of stuff hasn't been done and it's creative. And so the writers I was writing with in Absent were like Nicholas Mueller and Gigi and Vole. And they're so creative and they read terrain like no one has ever read terrain. And to watch them snowboard is mind-blowing. And then you watch the movie, it doesn't even make it justice of how hard it was what they did. So it's really amazing. And you're flying in helicopters or driving snowmobile and someone's giving you money for that. Mm. And you're getting paid to go spend money in a helicopter. So do you still do some of it right now? Right now, I don't. I just go for myself. I don't want to put myself in those situations anymore and burn my adrenal glands and get scared. Mm. Like I've kind of moved on from being that scared mm. and not sleeping at night because i wouldn't sleep at night wow because you're just i don't know you're anxious so what's <laughs> the other tomorrow's gonna bring and mm. just snow packs and avalanches and conditions and so many things can go wrong so quick and of course we're very careful and we make the best calls possible but skiers and snowboarders a lot of accidents happen compared to surfers yeah, you told me that a couple yeah, of times. There's a yeah. lot of elements oh. that come into play. And yeah. And it's hard work. It's physical. It's draining. When you go snowmobiling for a few days straight, you can't move after a few days. It's so taxing on the body. How did you do your restorative practices? How did you recover? What? I would roll out of bed and go to acupuncture. <laughs> uh, so you would say acupuncture is one of the best for that? For when no one can touch me because I'm uh, too sore, uh -huh. then acupuncture. Right. right. Yeah, it's the most uh -huh. gentle stuff. Because mm. like when I was less aware, I guess, of my body, I used to go to like massages that were so painful and they dig really hard and you think that's what's helping you because you don't really have that much awareness. Mm -hmm. Or I didn't. 
And then slowly I got into things that were very gentle and subtle. And I found those are the ones that go and heal the deepest. And they bring out and they move emotional things as well. And Let's dig into that a little bit. Yeah. What kind of practice are you into? What kind of practice? Practices. Practices, like uh, what kind of healing I go to? Yeah, yeah. Uh, right now, I really like acupuncture. Uh -huh. I love craniosacral, which comes from osteopathy. Mm -hmm. So I love osteopathy. Osteopath is from France. It's a... Like, I like to go to Cairo to get mm -hmm. adjusted, but osteopath they deal with your organs they deal with tissues if you fall really hard on your back they'll go see your kidney or your liver and they'll really like go see if you your digestion got you know affected and the chiro or the physio i find they more treat symptoms and they'll just crack you and they'll like massage your muscle and be like okay like Done. come back next week mm. as whereas the osteo and the acupuncturist they really look at your body as a whole and they treat everything as a whole and they more go towards uh, what created this. Maybe your knee's not healing because you have something in your digestive system or maybe it just goes further. Right. And what else are you up to these days? Like, so when we met, you were on a surf trip. How do you organize your year or months? Well, now yeah. my priority is to have fun and do the things I uh, love. Uh. How, how long since you retired, by the way? Not very long. Yeah, okay. But you're not 100% retired. I'm not 100% right? retired. I you're still right. have sponsors. Yeah. yeah. And I make a tiny bit of money. But most, I support myself through the real estate I acquired mm. while I was snowboarding. You invested. Yeah. Okay. So while I was snowboarding, I was lucky enough to be able to save money. And I would put that in real estate. And in the summer, I would renovate houses mm. and flip houses and be a slumlord. I've been a slumlord for a really long time. And just started small and... Then lucky that the market kind of grew and now I'm able to have a condo that I rent and I rent my house and I have suites. And so now I, it's mostly how I support, I sponsor myself. Right. Yeah. So what do you do with that time now? So now I hang out with my friends. I go snowboarding. I still do renovation projects, huh. which I love. And then I come surfing because what saved my career and prolonged my career was started to surf. Because snowboarding was so full on and year round. And when I started surfing, I started going away for a week, going away for two weeks. And then it became longer every week, every year. And it would really give me a break from snowboarding and make me miss it and make me appreciate my life and what I could do because of snowboarding. Because just snowboarding and just hanging out with snowboarders all the time was very stressful and always talking about it and living it. And when I would leave, I would love to go to Mexico and go somewhere where no one knew anything about snowboarding. No one would talk about snowboarding. And I was fully the tourist that no one knew, that I couldn't speak the language, I couldn't dance. And everyone would laugh at me because I was bad at surfing. And I would just love being in that situation where there's no ego. You don't have to, you know, be cool at anything. Uh, where do you spend most of your time then? You spend like half a year in Indonesia? And I spend in Mexico and Costa Mexico. Rica at first oh, that's where I learned yeah. to surf uh -huh. and it was close and uh, I thought Indonesia was quite hard to surf so I didn't come here for a while all right and hard uh, to yeah surf and then I just like later on I just felt like I wanted to move to the beach I just love the beach lifestyle more than the mountain life and my entire career was focused on saving money so that one day I could go spend time at the beach because I didn't want to live in Canada I just wanted to be there when it's good to snowboard 
but I thought the beach life was way better. So I just, I didn't spend any money. I just put it on real estate so I could leave. And then so these days you spend a lot of time surfing and then you go back I go home, surfing, I snowboard. travel, but also when I'm doing that, I'm learning, I'm reading, mm -hmm. I'm still doing healings or therapy or that's kind of what I find very interesting. Exploring. Yeah, like to me to learn, I don't need to go to school because I can learn anything I want either online or in books or through mm -hmm. amazing people I meet while traveling. And that's one of the best things about traveling is the people you meet and how much you can expand your mind that way okay so the hard question the hard question because not everyone find it easy but it's not always hard it could be easy for some because you can have it clearly like that what are you driven by doing all of that now what's the drive what's the the source what's behind it all to be happy and be happy mm. so i do things that make me happy mm. And I now I have more time to spend with my friends mm -hmm. and be there for others. Mm -hmm. And yeah, but basically I look at what makes me happy and I look at being healthy and feeling good. And so I need to be active and I need to be in nature. To me, like the whole, I guess one of the biggest things that makes me happy is being in nature. And so if I wasn't in nature, I would be miserable, completely miserable. If you take me out of being active in nature, yeah, I don't function. But there is nature in nature. Like people would be in a city and go to the nature in a park. Yeah, no. That's not what we're talking no, about, no, no. right? I need to be like, spend my days outside. I can do maybe a week in Bali where I go for, and I need to go for walks on the beach. But after a week in Bali, I need to get out of here. It's too much of a city in Bali. Yeah, to me. <laughs> Yeah, because I don't like surfing. It's too crowded. Uh -huh. But that's when I feel like that's what brings out the best in me is being in the mountains and with my friends and sharing those moments and being in the ocean or in the forest, in the jungle. What are that's the... where we're meant to live, I think. That's what we are meant to, right? That's what yeah, you said, I meant feel to that's live. how we're meant uh, yeah. to live, is yeah. to be in nature. It's so hard to explain to everyone and to get people convinced by it. But it's good but, uh, that not everyone wants to do it. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so then I can so find, they start in their cities. And I can <laughs> find places that are still very peaceful with not many people. <laughs> so what are the skills you would you say that you have transferred from the past career mm -hmm. and to, to now? What are the things, the soft skills, would say? Like the things Some you, skills? Yeah. That you still carry these days, that you use? Well, all of them. All of them? What are They're they? They're all important. What are they? Well, I feel like the skill of being alone and traveling alone, that's something that took me a bit to learn, to be alone by myself, traveling and trusting that you're going to meet someone else. Because when I leave and I come to, let's say I come to Indonesia for this season, maybe I have a friend that I can meet up with. But after I spend a, time, a lot of time alone, because not many of my friends have a similar lifestyle. And so I feel being like the solitude mm -hmm. becomes a strength to be able to do that. What's the difference between solitude and loneliness? Well, loneliness sounds negative. Mm -hmm. In solitude, you have to be happy alone. And then you meet people that are happy alone. And I find that's a strength. It is. Yeah. Uh, 
what's next? What's next for you? You go in. You. I'm gonna go home and go snowboarding and hang out with all my friends because you miss them. I miss my friends, <laughs> and there's no girls cooler than all my friends in the mountains. I have a lot of trouble finding a similar group of friends uh. at the beach. Not because they don't exist. I just haven't met them. I, I meet cool girls at the beach, but they're on their own program, or I we I run into them short for a short period of time. But nothing will compare to my relationships with my girlfriends at home. And there's so many, there's a different group of girls that live in the mountains and a different group of girls that live on the beach because no one moves to Whistler to go take Instagram of their butt and their selfies, you know, at the beach. It's usually girls that like to like mountain bike, ski, snowboard, hike, climb, paddleboard, swim. Like my friends are badass. It sounds like you're excited to go and see them. Yeah. But don't you think sometimes when we spend a lot of time abroad, we... I mean, I had this conversation with a friend the other day. We were we were saying, like, we spend a lot of time out here. And then when we go back and see our friends, we find, like, there's a gap. Not the gap of friendship. We're not the same friends. We're still friends. But, like, it's like if we lose synchronicity with them. Like, mm. they think differently or they started getting more too serious about life. Mm. Or do you find that? Well, my friends live similar, very similar lives as me. All right, okay. They're athletes and they travel a lot. Oh. And especially just Whistler is seasonal. So even my friends that have more regular jobs, they go travel a few months a year. So everyone's traveling and everyone wants to share their stories and where they've been. And there's some of my friends are more serious and having mm. ki- kids. and But they still, people where I'm from, are the same mm. as me and have you been thinking about coaching yourself coaching no. other people no never i'm a bad coach what makes you think that i'm not able to break things down for people like explain things step yeah, by step like if you mean as a coach oh. like for sports like for for snowboarding like somebody yeah, no, i don't know I'm one of the good. listeners says okay i want you to 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 teach me how i can become yeah I'll be like, like go you. fast and hit the jump <laughs> like i'm not good at breaking like i really admire people uh, that are good coaches uh, it was i wasn't born with that my brother was oh my brother is a yeah you mentioned teacher it. um no that's just not one of my talents mm. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I don't I came, enjoy it either. So I came across an article the other day saying like how the a- athletes doesn't necessarily make the best coaches. No, yeah. it's true. Yeah, and the yeah. story was about actually a um, actually the opposite, like a banker who quit his job as a, in the bank and he went to teach soccer mm. to a team. Like he became a head coach for a, a yeah. professional soccer team. I can't remember which name it was. And they, he took them really far, really high. Yeah. He was not an athlete. He didn't know anything That's about. amazing. Yeah. I don't have that. <laughs> I can just play. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, probably there's some listeners who are snowboarders here, yeah. either from you or from my side. Is there a message to tell them? I find if you really want something, the most important thing uh-huh. is focus. focus. A lot of people that have issues, uh-huh. I find, and they don't know what to do or they're like Mm. they just can't focus Mm. and that was one of my strengths was when i want something i focus and Mm. there's nothing else i don't have a b plan it's just that right and that's gonna work out because if you have a b plan you're already like halfway out if it's not working i'll do this Mm. and so you've already kind of told yourself it's not gonna work out 
So the focus that you're talking about here is not necessarily the attention span, like focusing on reading a book necessarily f- uh, in, in, a, in a, like focus for 30 minutes, but want. focus in the big picture, like what just you want. Just focus on what you want, yeah. have a vision. Okay. And just don't give that up. How can someone develop that? Like want knowing what they want? I mean, no one can find the answer. Like if, once you it find it, once you find writing it, how it to fo- down and uh-huh. figure out what you want and what you love and what mm. makes you happy. Mm. And just focusing on that every day or all the time. So what can and conflict like, with it? You're not going to go, uh, you don't go accept opportunities that won't take you to that goal or to that vision. Uh-huh. You don't even go that route. Because how how did you learn that? You down. How did you learn That's it? That's my personality. That's your personality? Yeah. Okay. How can someone learn it? Like you said, how can they can learn it? You just said it. Sorry, I'm asking the question twice. What can conflict with it? Because this is a very interesting point. I'm so much into it as well. I like guess my... it would be your self-doubt. So self-talk, self-doubt. Because mm. if you really want that job, but then you're like, oh, but this job's really good too. And you, you'll convince uh. yourself to do something else uh. because of it pays well or blah, blah, blah. But And you don't think what you want's really coming. Mm. And so you kind of just told it that it's not coming by accepting something different. But if you just keep focusing that it's going to come and you refuse all these, and sometimes it's hard because you need money or, you know, but I think that's probably one of the keys. And how can someone turn off that self-doubt? Turn it off? Yeah. Well, you got to be aware. Like being aware is your 50% there because mm-hmm. then you can laugh at yourself and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, that's funny. That to me, it's just... If you can laugh at yourself through the whole process, mm-hmm. then you're winning. Yeah, so don't take things too serious. Yeah. Yeah. It's a game. It's all a game. Everything's yeah. a game. Nothing's yeah. that serious. Playfulness, so optimism. So play with your thoughts. Uh. To me, it's like if something shitty happens, you're like, okay, well, how can I turn this around and make this into a good thing and laugh about it? How did you learn that? Oh, uh, my dad was very serious uh-huh. and he was... Like he would take things very serious and make us feel really bad about it. And so I thought I would never be like that. Uh And I just find a lot of guys that I've been close to, they have more like that panic. Oh, my car is broken or this is going to be expensive. And they freak out right away. But you're in the same situation. Whether you think you freak out and you see all the negative and this is going to be expensive or you laugh about it, it's the same situation no matter what you're in it so you might as well have a good time and laugh about it because you're just making yourself angry really this could be actually a really good coaching advice mm. see that not that bad mm. not that bad as being a coach coaching mm-hmm. people yeah because also this i heard it somewhere recently i was listening to a podcast with tim ferris and they were saying like the best thing you can teach kids is to be playful and optimistic mm-hmm. positive yeah. Leave the negativity outside. It's not serving anything. Very good. Very good. And it's more fun. Yeah. Because let's say you're like, oh, today, like when we would go shoot snowboarding, we're mm. like, oh, we didn't land anything. And you can mm. make it that you didn't have a good day mm. because you weren't productive. Mm. But really, if you just like, well, I just hung out with my friends all day. No, like mm. you just see the good out of your day. I just think it's a way better way to see life than, mm. and you're like, well, I hung out with my friend. Yeah, I didn't get anything productive done, but look how lucky I am. Like how good my life is. Have you done anything about values, any work around values? Like personal core values? No. Because I'm picking, I'm picking a couple of things that comes repeatedly here with you. It's like you're talking about fun. Fun is mm-hmm. a big part of 
what yeah. you like it what you value togetherness mm -hmm. friendship yeah learning yeah you said learning a couple of times like you're all about learning i can learn anything anytime i don't need to go to school to do that yeah exploration as in traveling and seeing different places um freedom obviously uh, is it is it obvious it's not that yeah, obvious, yeah, yeah. obvious. Freedom? Yeah, yeah for sure yeah, well, so I'm, I am accurate with, the, with this. Yeah. Is there something missing? For what? For my personality? No, those are like the core values, you know. My, oh, all... my core values. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was picking. Yeah, and I think what's what's so hard nowadays uh. for people is social media. Uh. How? And because it, it takes you out of your strength uh -huh. into seeing what everyone else is doing. And one of my main thing when I talk about focus, to me, I had to block what everyone else was doing to be able to be tr true to what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be and how to be successful. I had to focus on my strengths. And when you look at social media and what everyone else is doing, you kind of be like, maybe I should be doing this or maybe that you kind of get distracted and all these other people being successful and it takes you out of feeling good about yourself. There you go. Another good piece of advice and comparison is a thief of joy. You know mm -hmm. that one they say it a lot right a really good one here too it can add like ideas and creativeness oh. too but to me it added more stress knowing what others were doing mm. than just focusing on creating your reality around you mm. and enjoying where you are which right. i have so much fomo right. i'm always checking the weather and fear of missing that i should be somewhere else <laughs> So, how's the weather looking like when you go back? Oh, it's not snowing yet. Not snowing. But yet. maybe next week. You see here, it's not rainy yet. I know. Yeah. Thank God. It's, like, <laughs> it's fun though. I mean, yeah, like, I like yeah. the. I enjoy the rain, but the yeah. first rains of the season in Bali, I can't say are very clean. Uh -huh. So you would say you are satisfied with the level of accomplishments and things that you accomplished in your life it's yeah clear, and one say. of my biggest goals oh. was to when i'm retired to enjoy my retirement mm. and it's happening and so my family and my mom they always ask me what are you going to do after what are you going to do after aren't you bored and i'm like man i work for this and now i just want to enjoy it <laughs> and to me like so many people need to be driven and they need to have goals to be happy and it was one of my biggest challenges was to learn to relax and not to be happy because I was reaching a goal, but just to be happy. And so I find a lot of people can't do that. And I enjoy that challenge and I'm a master doing nothing. <laughs> so good. So, what does success mean to you? To me, success is being happy and having good relationships. Relationships. Mm. And freedom. Like be able to do what you want, pick mm. up and just do what you want, not to be tied financially. Or physically to a space or a place or somewhere. Yeah. Mm. Well, if you are, then you, if you're happy, you can make it like in your mind, make the best of it. But. So to conclude a little bit, can you finish these sentences? Life is all about. The first one that comes would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised. And happiness come from. Oh, happiness comes from, I don't know, friends, yeah. More? Friends, fun, love, sports, 
Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, that that was really nice um, having you here. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. My pleasure. That's it for today's conversation. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the key insights that we shared on this podcast interview. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you didn't subscribe yet and head to my website, thebodyandmindcoach.com blog to find exclusive articles about various personal and professional development topics. And finally, if you are an athlete or a business professional who's looking for help to advance your career and navigate through whatever challenges that you may be facing to win your game, or if you are a corporate organization who would like to offer their team a workplace well-being workshop, or if you are a sports team who's looking at unlocking their full potential, go to my website, thebodyandmindcoach.com, scroll to the bottom and hit the contact button and reach out. Thank you and enjoy your day.